We are continuing on in the book of Galatians. After this Sunday, we're going to be taking a break from it. And we're going to, as you know, we've been preaching through 10 Psalms a summer. And so we'll be picking that up starting next Sunday with Psalm 21. We'll go through 30. And as we've done in the past, we'll be adding a few singing of Psalms um, as we do it. And I want to continue to encourage you. That just as your mother who loved you well made you eat things that you'd rather not, some of the singing of psalms will be like that. It's really good and nourishing for you, but it's not to your taste. And so we're a church who loves you enough to feed you on things that you don't immediately appreciate and then chastise you for not appreciating it. And so some of it you'll enjoy, some of it will be a new taste for you, so hopefully you can sing with us. But we'll be starting that next week. This week, though, we're in Isaiah, so, uh, or in Galatians. So, in Galatians 1, but I want you to go back to Isaiah chapter 40, if you would. Isaiah is just to the right of the middle of your Bible. And Isaiah chapter 40, I want to start there. Isaiah 40. Now, it's not exactly uh, the same situation as we were dealing with in Galatians. But God sends Isaiah, a preacher of the gospel, to the people of God with the good news. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem to cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. So this is foretelling the coming of Christ. He is the, the Lord that we are, that was, the, the way was to be prepared for. And he would bring comfort to God's people. He would be the one who would receive the punishment due us for our sins so that we can have reconciliation with God. That's the gospel. That you can be comforted that God will not treat you as you deserve for your sins because He treated Christ in our place as we deserved for our sins. And so we have peace with God. We're pardoned. That's the gospel, and it's very glorious, isn't it? It's beautiful, it's simple. That's the gospel that Christ came and did. He accomplished and he gave to his apostles to go and preach this good news of comfort, of forgiveness of sins before God, not based on what we do, but based on what Christ did. So Paul, as you remember, went to the region of Galatia, preached this gospel publicly. They received it. Many believed the church was started. And shortly after, others came and said, Whoa, you don't really have true comfort with God yet because you lack circumcision. You, you, you have false comfort right now with God. You don't have true, eternal comfort. Paul didn't tell you the whole truth. Paul was just a guy and his gospel wasn't the full gospel. He just got that gospel from other men. The true gospel is, yes, faith in Christ, but unless you're circumcised, 
You cannot be saved. You don't have comfort with God yet. Your iniquity is not yet pardoned because you haven't suffered yet the circumcision of your flesh. That's what's happening in Galatia. Now, how do we know which is true? How do you know which gospel is true? That's what we're concerning ourselves with in our text. So in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul is going to ground the truth in the source of where we get the Word of God from. It comes from God. So who is right? Who is true? Where do we place our trust? Our text has to do with the divine source of truth. From the very beginning, there's always been alternative voices. You saw it in the garden when Satan came and lied. You see it again here in Galatia. We see it time and time again. Who will you trust? It's either God in his word or others. So that's what we're going to see. Let me read these two verses, pray, and then we'll get into it. For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel is preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, please deal bountifully, generously with us now. Help us that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things out of your law. We are just sojourners on this earth. Don't hide your word from us. Teach us to be consumed with longing for your rules at all time. Rebuke those who are insolent, those who wander from your commands. Take them from us, for we desire to keep your testimonies. Even though great rulers sit plotting against us, may we meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are delight. Please teach us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the main truth, again, in Galatians is that the only way to be reconciled to God, to be accepted by God, is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. Again, what is happening here is that others came from Jerusalem saying that they were sent from the Big name apostles from Peter, from James, and they were upsetting the church, troubling them, saying that Paul wasn't a true apostle. Paul just got what he was teaching from other men, not from God. But we're the true ones. We're the right ones. You need to listen to us. And the true gospel, the full gospel, is that the only way to reconciliation with God is through circumcision and faith. So what Paul has to do in the book of Galatians is he has to begin to reset their hope in the gospel by defending his ministry. That's the whole entirety of the first two chapters. And he begins right here. That he didn't get the gospel from other men, but directly from Jesus Christ. And he'll spend the next two chapters giving a autobiographical account of his coming to Christ, his calling as an apostle, and his ministry in order that they may see that the gospel that he preached was the true gospel, directly from God. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he'll preach the gospel of justification by faith. 
And then in chapters 5 and 6, he'll apply it to your life. But notice here in our text his flow of thought. If you remember, if you go back to verse 6, he gently rebukes them. I am astonished at you, that you so quickly turn from this gospel of faith alone. And then if you remember, he blasts the false teachers, cursing them in verses 8, 9, and 10. Anybody who preaches anything contrary to the gospel that Paul was preaching, even if it's Paul or an angel or any other person, may they be damned. May they suffer God's eternal punishment in hell. He ends that section by saying that he is a servant of Christ. And verse 11 starts with a four. He's going to explain why he is the servant of Christ. That's what he's going to do for the next two chapters. Why can they believe that? Why can they believe that? This is the question he's got to answer for them. And he's going to say that the reason that they can give themselves the gospel that Paul preached is because Paul didn't get it from anybody else but directly by revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this is, these two verses are something of a transition from his gentle rebuke of the church, from his blasting of the false teachers, the wolves, to now defending his ministry in a chap, two chapter long biographical retelling of where he got the gospel from so that they can trust the gospel. He's not patting himself on the back. He's not boasting. He's having to rebuke or having to correct them, defending his ministry so that they'll believe the gospel that he preached. That, that, that's where we're at. All right, so what I want you to do is look at this. We see the negative. The negative is that he didn't get the gospel from man. The gospel that's preached to me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man. I wasn't taught it. If you remember, we'll go there in a moment to Acts 9. Paul, after seeing a revelation of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9, he immediately started preaching the gospel. He didn't go to Peter and say, can you teach me the gospel, blah, blah, blah. He got it directly from Christ. Then he says the positive. I didn't receive it from man, negative, the positive directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. He uses the same language here. He's an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So this is one of the things that will consistently happen in the church is that the servants of Christ, those sent by him to preach the gospel, will be undermined by others. And Paul and other pastors will have to, from time to time, make sure that you understand that they receive their calling from God, that they preach God's gospel, and so you should entrust yourselves to them. That's what Paul is doing here. He begins this ver- these two verses, this transition, for, for I would have you know. You ever... You're giving your kids instructions, and you know that your kids from time to time don't listen exactly 
to what you want them to do. And so you'll say something like, now, pay attention. Can you repeat back to me what I asked you to do? Or maybe you've had it when you're holding your child, young child, two years old, and he or she gently places her hands on each side of your face and makes sure that they have your full attention. It's really sweet. That's what Paul is doing here. Hey, you've got to listen to this, please. Give me your attention. I want you to repeat back to me what I'm about to say to you. I would have you know. I would have you know that the gospel isn't from man, but I got it from Christ. And he uses this word, revelation. I received it from a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let's go back to Acts 9 and look at that. So flip back. Acts is just three or four books to the left. Acts chapter 9 is where we meet Paul. And when we pick up Galatians again, we'll be looking at this again. He gives his biographical account. So uh, just before this, in Acts chapter 7 and 8, persecution has broken out against the church by the Jews. And Paul was one of the main ringleaders of this. He was there at Stephen, the first martyr for Christ, at his execution. He approved of it. And then he went and ravaged the church. In 8.3 it says, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. And now in chapter 9, he is going um, in order to arrest Christians in Damascus and bring them back bound to Jerusalem. And in verse 3, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he, that is Paul, Saul, said, don't make much of the names, remember I've reminded you, Saul is his Jewish name, Paul is the way you'd say it in Greek, so don't, don't, don't make too much of the two different names here. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. So when Paul says in Galatians 1.12 that he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, this is what he means. Christ himself came and revealed himself directly to Paul. This is not a vision. This is not a trance. This is live and in color. Jesus physically, bodily, revealing himself to Paul. And this then, for Paul, made sense of everything. Paul knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He was a Pharisee. He was trained by one of the leading Pharisees. He knew everything in the Old Testament of the waiting Messiah. He would have been very familiar with the Christian teaching by this time. He was hunting them down. You know, if you're going after something, you would know what you're going after. He would have known the Christian. When Christ appeared to him, the gospel, everything came together for him. This is the revelation. And so Paul then, if you were to continue on, begins to immediately preach the gospel. 
that Jesus is the Son of God, that He did die on the cross, that He did come back alive, raised from the dead three days later, that He did ascend to heaven. So Him who was persecuting the church began to preach the gospel that builds the church. Isn't this the grace of God? Don't lose the wonder of this. That one who is seeking to destroy the church is now here in Galatians defending the church against those who are destroying it. <laughs> this is your life, isn't it? It's what the gospel does. It changes you. It flips you around. It makes you new, different. We once were this and we're no longer that. We're something new. We once were enemies of God. Now we're sons of God. We once were far off from grad. God, now we're brought near by the blood of His Son. That's what Paul is. But Paul, different than us, was called by Christ to be an apostle, an eyewitness to His resurrection, to go and preach the gospel, particularly to the Gentiles. And so he... God, Christ revealed to him from heaven. His revelation wasn't of earth, wasn't of man, but of heaven. And so this is what our faith is built on. Our faith isn't, some philosoph- isn't the result of philosophers sitting around discussing Socratic dialogue. It wasn't by scientific method. It isn't some guru's moral truisms. It isn't some secret code revealed by an angel in a cave. It's directly from God. And it's based directly on what actually happened in history. Historical facts. Christ was actually born of a virgin. Fact. He actually turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana. Fact. He went to Jerusalem where he was arrested, tortured, and spiked to a tree. Fact. He died. He was buried in Joseph's tomb. Fact. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Fact. Forty days later, he ascended to heaven. Fact. Then he revealed himself to Paul and commissioned him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Fact. This is what Paul is importing to this world, or this word, revelation. It's not something done in secret. It's public events, historical events that God revealed in order to reveal His Son once and for all. His Son died on the cross once and for all, rose from the dead, so that through faith in Him, you might receive forgiveness of all of your sins. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't change It doesn't shift. It isn't based on us or the church. It's based on God. Now, that is troubling for some. It can't be proved. Like you can prove that man descended from the apes. Right? Right? You can prove that, right? Some of you, it's very obvious. 
why do we believe that this is from God? Why do we believe it? Why? What's your answer? Because God said it's from God. And only by the internal light giving of the Holy Spirit do you come to believe that. (laughs) You're not going to like science your way to this one. Although there's plenty of good evidence for it. This is one of the great difficulties of Christianity. You have to believe. And that faith comes only by the work of the Holy Spirit within you. The Bible is absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. There's nothing like it in all the books in the world. There is nothing as sublime and beautiful as the Word of God. How it agrees with itself from beginning to end. The truths within it are just delightful. But that's not what ultimately convinces you that this is divine. It's the Holy Spirit illumining you. And what does the Holy Spirit illumine you to? The gospel. There's nowhere else that that can be found. The heavens declare the glory of God, but they don't declare that Christ died on the cross for your sins. That's only in here. The Bible does not declare that you are under God's wrath. Or that the heavens don't declare that. Only God's word does. That The only solution is Jesus Christ sent from heaven to die in your place for your sins. So this is where we begin and end. This is the doctrine of doctrines. That the Bible is God's word. Every word of it from Genesis to Revelation. It has been inspired through the prophets and the apostles by the Holy Spirit such that through human beings, through men, God got written exactly every word that he wanted written and gave it to you, us, preserved it through the centuries so that you might know salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's revelation. That's what they're undermining. So let me, let me do a couple of things with this. Again, this word revelation. When I was a young believer, I thought that what was meant by this is that the way that God speaks to us mainly is by him coming to me personally and revealing something new to me. And I really, really sought that. I would go to this little park north of La Crosse on the Mississippi and sit there for and just cry out to God for him to give me something more. Because I thought that what is meant by that word revelation is that what happened to Paul should happen to me. And if it wasn't happening to me, then I must not be doing enough. I must not be a big enough Christian, a good enough Christian, a holy enough Christian, a mature enough Christian. And surely mature Christians get what Paul got. And I wasn't getting what Paul got. And so I was very troubled by that. But that's not what this is. You shouldn't expect what Paul received for you to receive. Why? 
Because you're not Paul. Because you're not a divinely chosen apostle to see the resurrected Christ and be sent to preach the gospel in this frontier first time way to the Gentiles. Now, I do notice that those who think that they should receive revelations by Paul don't think that they should receive the suffering that Paul received. They, they want the glory without the cross. They want the Jesus come and speak to my heart without all of the shipwrecks and tortures and sleepless nights and hungers and betrayals. <laughs> and so I just want you to be careful of this. Another way to say it is the Bible is completely sufficient for you. The Bible is enough for you. God is speaking to you in his written, preserved, English translation Bible. It's enough, brothers and sisters. In John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, live forever. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is he talking about? He's talking about his word and, and the Lord's Supper, I think. Whoever eats of my flesh, he is the bread of life. Whoever eats of the living bread that came down from heaven, where do we eat of it? Is it in your own kind of Jesus secretly, privately communicating to your heart? No. It's in the Word of God. It's in the Holy Scriptures. And it is a very wicked thing to say to Jesus, thank you for your Word, but I'd like some more, please. It's very kind of you to inspire these 66 books and I don't know them very well, but I really want more, and I'm not satisfied until you give me more. We show our discontentment. The Bible is sufficient. Ingest it. Dine on it. Delight yourself in it. Be content with it. Seek Him in it. Now, the other difficulty here is that this gospel, this word is to be preached again and again and again. The primary means that the Bible says will convey the word of God to us is preaching. Verse 11, the gospel that was preached by me. You remember going back to the book of Acts, how did the word of God propagate? How did it go forward? How was the church established and built up and ultimately the entirety of the Roman Empire conquered by it? Preaching. By God sending men to preach to you. And so the primary means that you will dine on Christ is through the preaching of a fallible man to you. Isn't that something? Why did God set it up that way? 
Couldn't it have been much easier like if an angel was here? Wouldn't that be better? Or if God would somehow show up in like a pillar of fire and his word just kind of came out of it, wouldn't that be easier for you to pay attention to? Well, not at all. I don't know if you read the Bible, but they don't listen to pillars of fires or angels either. <laughs> God does it to test your faith, doesn't it? That your faith might not rest in man, but in God's word. That God calls you to have the faith to receive his word accurately preached by a man to men. And that you would listen to it as if it's coming from God. One of the things in um, teaching the church history class I've been teaching on Tuesdays at noon that 10 or 12 of you watch with regularity is that one of the errors of medieval Roman Catholicism, of course, was to remove the word of God from the people. They didn't have any part in taking the Lord's Supper. They didn't sing. The preaching was in a Latin language that they didn't understand. And what the Reformers rediscovered is that the preaching has to be in the language of the people so that the people could hear God's word. After the Reformation got going, the Roman Catholics had a counter-Reformation. They wanted to respond to Luther and to Zwingli and to Calvin and to these guys by evaluating what they were teaching and then giving their own guidance. One of the things that the Roman Catholic Church emphasized after the Reformation and their counter-Reformation was that the preaching of God's word didn't matter to God's people at all. It was really about your own private, internal, subjective spirituality, just Jesus and me. That, that was the Roman Catholic Council of Trent after the Reformation. The gathering, you should come to Mass, but not because you'll understand anything, not because you'll participate in anything, just by being here. God will like, pour grace into your head or something. But your real spiritual life takes part in your own private, subjective, internal spirituality. I think Protestant churches like ours are just going back to that. Church isn't that important. Hearing the preaching isn't that important. It's just Jesus and me. It's the error in that book, Jesus Calling. That's the error in that book. Yes, I have God's word. Yes, I have the church, but it's not enough. I need Jesus' sweet word to me. She's rediscovering Roman Catholic medieval spirituality contra Bible. And it's all over the Christian church. And so we need to receive again that God's word is given to us by the preaching of a fallible man to fallible men and women. And to receive it as if it's from God. And you know what we call that? Grace. It's grace. We love the word grace. We love it. We don't really know what it means anymore, but it, it's a good word. What is grace? Well, grace is God giving you what you, we don't deserve. 
prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were given a promise, but that promise was contingent on their obedience to the one rule. Don't eat of that fruit. After the fall, God still has a promise, but that promise is no longer at all contingent on our obedience, but only on His free gift in Christ. Why? Because we're ruined in sin. Go back to Isaiah 40 in your brain. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 40, it says, comfort, comfort my people. Why? Their warfare has ended. Do you see your sin before a holy God as God's warfare against you? We just don't have the faith to receive how bad sin is. We're ruined in sin. When I was, I don't know how old, my dad and I fished and we duck hunted a lot. We gun hunted, but we didn't bow hunt. And some of my friends were getting into bow hunting and I wanted to get into bow hunting. My dad had never bow hunted at that time. And so we were going to get into it. For Christmas, you know, I thought I would be getting a bow, my first bow. We opened up all the presents, and there was no bow. And I made sure that my dad realized my displeasure. (laughs) I was a little snot. I had gotten all these presents, and all he got was grumbling and gratitude. Well, he had gotten me the bow, of course, and he had kept it for last. And you know what? He still gave it to me. Gladly. That's grace. That's what God does for us. We're whiny little spoiled children who demand more of God. And rather than him saying, you've been too much of a brat today, go to your room. He gives us the bow. That's grace. That grace is everything that you're given by God, including the preaching of his word regularly to your ears and the faith to believe it. This is grace, brothers and sisters. This is what God has designed for you. The word of God is an absolute treasure. It's the only place where we meet Jesus Christ. It's the place where we're nourished on the bread of life, particularly in the preaching of it. Are you attentive to it? Do you want more of Jesus? Do you want more fellowship with your Lord? Do you want deeper intimacy with Him? Then eat of the bread that endures forever. Drink of Him and you'll never be thirsty again. And it isn't found in you getting away to a private place and listening for His voice, but in opening His Bible. It's in coming and being attentive to the preaching of his word. Now I want to close with focusing on one other word in this passage. is the word brothers in verse 11. <clears throat> now you'll note, probably, if you go back to... Um, Give me a moment here. Where's the first place brothers is used in verse 1? Could somebody help me out? I had it written. Verse 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Look at verse 2. And all the brothers. And you'll notice that there's a little footnote there. Mine has a 1. Here, have that. Then if you go down to your footnotes, 
It has a little statement there. Or brothers and sisters. The plural Greek word adelphoi, translated brothers, refers to siblings in a family in New Testament usage, depending on the context. Adelphoi may refer either to men or to both men and women who are siblings, brothers and sisters in God's family, the church. Also, verse 11. Now, in the Greek, it doesn't have brothers and sisters. The word and sisters is not there. It's just brothers. And it is true that in certain places in the Bible, according to the context, it's very clear that he's addressing both men and women, all of us, with this one word, Adelphoi. Then there's other places where it's completely clear that he is just here addressing the men. In verse 11, it's that. He's just addressing the men. For I would have you know, brothers... Now, of course, we live in a day and age where this is very offensive. And it's good to be offended where it will help us realize how offensive we should be to the culture when the culture is pressing against divine revelation. And we know that it is an awful thing to add to God's word and that God, the Holy Spirit, wasn't asleep when he didn't add in the Greek and sisters, that he actually intended it just to be brothers, and that if somebody has a real issue with that, we should be patient and try to talk them through it, and if they're just very belligerent, then we should not, (laughs) that we should believe God. Why does he just address the brothers here? Every woman will, I, I think, love this. Why? Well, what's going on in this church? This church, not our church. What's going on in this church? Warfare, right? I mean, the souls of men and women and children are at stake because of this false gospel. They're deserting Christ. Wolves have come in, leading them astray. And who has God, from Genesis 1 and 2, given to fight off wolves? The men. The men are told through Adam to keep the garden, to protect the garden, to put their bodies in between snakes and their wives. But feminism says, oh, how dare you? <laughs> Women are just as good at men. And, and you all know what happens when men feel like the women will do the job, right? Wives, what happens? The men won't do it. And so you know how dangerous it is here for these Bible commentators to say that this refers to and sisters too? You know how bad that is? How awful it is? When the men are constantly being told that they don't have a specific calling to protect the church, but the women will do it too. It leaves the church very vulnerable. I think we're seeing the fruits of this all over our culture. We have young men without fathers doing unspeakable acts of violence. There's no no fatherly protection there. We have high school students in Keele, Wisconsin being charged with a sex crime by not referring to a peer with their preferred pronouns. 
We have the inability to watch any movie or show today without the obligatory woman who is a warrior and hard and mean and she's going to kick some butt. It's disgusting. Captain America is gross. Or not Captain, Marvel. It's just disgusting. Because women were not made to be hard. But men were at certain instances. That's why Paul is calling on the brothers here. I would have you know, brothers, you have a job to do. Get rid of the wolves. Protect the sheep. Get up, please. That's why he's calling on the brothers. We know because we're saying, I hope, that God has given men the primary calling to protect. Adam failed. He didn't protect Eve. Right? He listened to her and followed her. And again, one of the things you should know about men is the temptation to be lazy. The temptation, if we think somebody else will do it, we won't do it, particularly the women. So Paul addresses the men. There's doctrinal error. Men, fight it. It's the man of the job. Brothers. Paul had said brothers and sisters. The brothers wouldn't have done it. They would have done what Adam did. They would have done what Barak did when Deborah was available, sat idly by. So Paul calls on the brothers to stand up, to get up, to get to the work of knowing biblical truth and fighting doctrine and dealing with those who are causing trouble. Right? So men, this is our calling. This is our job. So young men, this is what we want to raise you up to do. So that when you're in your mid-30s or 40s, you can teach or take on weight here and protect the church from error because we're always going to have trouble. We're always going to have those who come up with what sounds like fine saying things and lead the sheep astray. And you're here to fight. So you have a purpose here. We need you. Quit playing. Get to work. And Of course, ladies, women, you have a part in this, right? Adam needed help. He needed his wife to say, honey, get out there. There's a wolf. But the Packers are playing. Good women help motivate men. They do the hard work of keeping the home so that he can do that work. Let me close it with this. this Every Sunday we have some who are assigned here to provide us physical protection and they have guns. If an active shooter came in, the men would have a job, right? Take him out. Protect the sheep. Get their bodies in the way. Would the women have a job? Hit the floor, yeah. But wouldn't they? Have to make sure the kids are protected and brought to safety. Don't they have it? Don't don't we work together in that? Right? That's what's happening here. Let's pray. Father, give us faith for these things. Help us to love your word, to see it as divine, eternal, true life. 
Help us to have the faith to hear the preaching of your word and receive the Lord's Supper with faith, to read our Bibles with our families and ourselves, to give ourselves to knowing your word, to loving it, to eating it, to not getting enough of it. And then, God, help us to do the the hard work of protecting and building up your church, even according to our own sex. And so, God, we ask for help in these things. God, we do love your word, and we need you to give us strength to walk in obedience to it. So, God, please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen.